Well, it's still not clear yet when we'll be able to get back together at scale, but we've been busy running our digital events and recording some great interviews. If you haven't seen what we've been doing on our Bright Talk channel, then take a look at our website, www.instec.london, to find a whole other series of really interesting discussions. Corporate membership is also growing week by week. This is Matthew Grant, partner at Instec London, and welcome to this, the 99th episode. Thank you for your support and kind words. We wouldn't bother doing this if you hadn't been able to tell us what you think. Now, over the last couple of years, we've been delighted to support the work that Lloyds is doing with the Lloyds Lab. One of the biggest successes of companies offering data and analytics to the companies in Lloyds actually predates the labs itself. McKenzie Intelligence Services was founded by Forbes McKenzie to collate and interpret intelligence information and derive useful insights for claims adjusters and underwriters. We've known Forbes and his team for a while, and we're delighted to welcome them recently as another corporate member. We're learning more about how the company is broadening its access into the sources of intelligence it's using, and I think you're going to find this a really fascinating discussion. McKenzie Intelligence was founded in 2011 following Forbes, who is uh, part of the M in that, a career in military intelligence. Um, started offering intelligence to insurance companies and then Forbes got backing from Lloyd's in 2017 to assist them with claims handling. Today, you're one of the, one of the most well-known organizations working with Lloyd's in this area and actually have had a really intriguing journey that we'll look forward to finding out about. You've broadened your area of risk intelligence. Uh, welcome to this edition of the Instead London podcast. Thank you very much, Matthew. It's a real pleasure to be here. Um, we've always enjoyed listening to your previous podcasts. Uh, Vicky Mills, um, who's who's my sidekick, is the chief product officer. Um, she's been an avid fan um, of your podcasts, and they're very insightful. So it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Well, great. I'm glad we can glad we could pin you down. I don't know if you're studying for CII, but if you are, you, you can get uh, thirty minutes of uh, continuing professional development by listening to yourself talk. I don't know anybody else that offers that, but extra special bonus for spending this time. That's quite um, funny. We are doing um, within the business. We do spend a lot, a lot of time in personal development. Actually, there's there's a program that we sponsor. Uh, Vicky finished our our, M, our MBA working with us, and um, our tech team are all doing various master's degrees um, as as part of the personal development. And I myself have decided to go back to university, and the CIPD actually is quite quite useful because I do need to collate as much as I possibly can. <laughs> well, there you go. Just I'm just here to add value. Uh, so, well, great. Listen, I just want to talk a bit about your background. So you went from military to insurance, continuing a theme of people who've had uh, fascinating careers but decided that that wasn't exciting enough, and so they ended into insurance. So it'd be great just to hear a little bit about your own uh, reasons for you know, moving into the space and, you know, and how you developed a business after leaving the Army. Well, I had a wonderful career in uh, the British Army Intelligence Corps. Uh, it's for 10 years now. I say I joined in... 2001 on September the 9th and two days later everything of course changed but that journey meant that I had a lot to do with um, um, with the US intelligence architecture which is a scale beyond anything that we have here in the UK and in Europe and uh, in that process we got to work with some very very interesting space technologies and ground technologies all providing almost real-time intelligence and kind of drones or UAVs but after 10 years, it was time to kind of settle down and roots were getting put down in London at that particular time as I got married. So we set ourselves up with a little niche consulting business, essentially sorting things out for people in the kind of hotspots around the world. And that changed with the Arab Spring. 
colleagues from the military who were working in the Lloyds marketplace required some information to be gained um, from Libya uh, in Benghazi in particular. And the questions could be answered via satellite photography. And I said, why don't we use remote sensing over the traditional route? We still went to Benghazi. Essentially, we could do an awful lot more remotely. And um, that was working for Aon, uh, for a number of managing agents as well. But that took us to North America. And North America, we worked with a number of startups, Skybox Imaging, who became Planet via Google. Um, We started working with them and their data, working with their pixels, working with automation, working with the Google stack, really understanding what the scale, the potential would be. It's a great example of building on a strength in one career and then moving into the other one. I'm sure your family were pleased that you sort of moved from a on-the-job role and actually being able to do that remotely with the benefits of satellite imagery and base itself over here in the UK. You refer to pixels as part of the way that you use imagery or people use imagery. Can you just explain what that means? A pixel um, on your computer screen, on a phone, um, to use another bit of jargon, um, is a raster picture. What does that, what does that mean? It means there's lots of tiny little squares and you will see the adverts on mobile phone adverts of how high resolution a picture is and how many pixels, 1080 by 1080. But essentially, it's tiny, tiny, tiny little squares of information which has a colour attached to it. Join all those together and you get a picture. But we don't, as a business, just view the picture. We view all the information that sits behind that, the the sort of tone of the colour, the bandwidth of the colour, um, we can, the pixel can tell us what time it was taken. The pixel can also tell us how high it's, it is in relation to sea level. And all of that coming together is a very, very, very detailed understanding of the landscape around about us. And our job as intelligencers, though, is to extract that information and apply it to our clients in a way that they can understand. Essentially, the clients give us the risk in a very large CSV file of millions and millions and millions of uh, lines in many cases and but we need to add value to every single one of those lines so we extract the information from the pixels and apply that to uh, the um, risk profile from our customers that's fascinating so each pixel has got some metadata associated with it so if i understand what you're saying it's more than just the image that we might think about it's actually has a lot of more contextual data yes it? and it is the metadata and the traditional view of a pixel is what you and I perceive. I, I also talk about the, the, the data that a bee can see. So the, the insects can see near infrared, so it's the health of vegetation. Um, and that information, what you can't see, is actually more inf- more value to us. And um, there's other data sources that we use, synthetic capture radar, which has the ability to see at night and see through clouds. And that typically comes from space, but also can be aerial flown as, as well. And it's combining all of those raw information sources into a detailed intelligence picture is what we do as a business. Um, And of course, now we've got the benefit of scale and automation and artificial intelligence, which we just didn't have 15 years ago whilst in the military. And that really makes it exciting because we can answer the questions that our very large, exciting clients need done in near real time. Essentially, you're identifying the best sources of data which are getting better all the time in terms of resolution, ability to do things like see-through clouds. And then your role is to convert that into actual insights and intelligence for your clients. 12 months ago, I would have told you we're very agile um, from where we look from above in space or in the air on the ground. 
and use lots of different data sources that are either flown in space or non-air breathing, as we call them technically, or air breathing, which is a, a drone or an airplane. But now we have, in the last 12 months in particular, the ability to draw data from fixed points on the ground. So it's the internet of things. And if we know where to look, now that we have the trust from our clients, uh, we know where to look because they give us their risk. We can then actually fix points from the ground to answer questions around about their risk as well. And we combine all of that together um, to make a really detailed, colourful picture of what's taking place. Talking now to the insurance applications, as I mentioned earlier, you got to know Lloyd's. You know, what was interesting for me at the time, just when you did that, that was at that stage, there were very few organisations in what you're looking at in the sense of data and analytics that Lloyd's was working with to the scale you were doing it. So there's always been, well, the last couple of, I guess, 20 years, or more individual Lloyd's syndicates or managing agents working directly with providers of analytics and data, but you actually had a relationship directly with Lloyd's itself, the corporation, that in turn gave you access to, I think it was all of the market, wasn't it? So it would be really interesting to understand both what that was, but also yeah. to the extent you're willing to share your secrets. Uh, how did you, how on earth did you manage to persuade Lloyd's to spend money with you when it seemed like nobody else would be able to to do that. I mean, it's changed since then, of course, because now with the future of Lloyd's and things. But yeah, to, the willing, to extend your way to share that. It has changed since then. Um, my background in the military was in human intelligence. And part of doing human intelligence is to have an access point to an organisation that's of interest. And that human intelligence point answers all your questions. And the least points of access, the, the very, very best. So we took that approach to it. We thought for a small business that doesn't have a lot of resources for commercials, because that is a cost. We spend all of our money on the product. How could we gain access to an organization that offers scale and essentially do it on the cheap? Um, and we were London-based anyway, so we had the Lloyd's Marketplace on our doorstep. And it made sense, having looked at Lloyd's quite carefully, that we had the corporation and the Lloyd's Market Association and that really should be from a commercial penetration point. That should be the way that we should do it. Um, then the human intelligence would then ask, how do you get access to that? You therefore need to speak to the right person. So a lot of time was spent looking for the right people and then how to get alongside them and get to know them. We did everything from during the Lloyd's Fly Fishing Club. We did sponsored bike rides with Lloyd's and we spent... Um, a large proportion of our marketing grant in one one underline. And a combination of all of those activities um, led, led us into the inner workings of a number of ma managing agents um, who then in turn passed our details into uh, Lloyds of London and the Lloyds Market Association. For those that aren't intimately familiar with the geography of uh, EC3 in London, one underline is the, uh, I guess now a coffee shop actually, but I guess in those days... It was a bar where you were investing in your wonderfully termed uh, work, human intelligence. I love that. It's a sort of whole counter argument to AI, which of course <laughs> got lots of value. But I think people do sometimes forget HI is, uh, is equally as important as AI. So we developed a relationship with colleagues in the market who became colleagues in the marketplace at that particular time. And, um, and really, they, we started picking up small pieces of work, usually related around... Um, after an event connected to the Arab Springs with Tripoli Airport, Sana Airport in Yemen, pharmaceutical plants in Mosul, 
and doing satellite imagery analysis of those. And that kind of raised our profile. We were then invited in for a conversation into the inner workings of Lloyd's. What we didn't realize, it was essentially the kind of forerunner to the Lloyd's lab. And it, um, so really bright individuals in Lloyd's. And I will name check Phil Godwin, who's the head of claims. Um, he said, look, why don't we get people in who are good at what they do? We'll then teach them what they need to know about insurance. So we have a company of people who are very good at procuring data. In this case, it's satellite imagery, analyzing it and then turning it around to the benefit of the marketplace. Uh, that saved us a significant research budget, I must say. And we were very pleased to effectively work for free for nine months in 2016. And we were given the problem of Hurricane Matthew. And they just, within Lloyd's, the strategic market claims group was, was the group that was set up to do this, just to prove that we could get data after an event and Hurricane Matthew in October 2016 was the event and we had nine satellite images within 24 hours of the event take, taking place. But then we then told the marketplace, uh, you really need to understand what you're seeing in the image because it's not good enough just to see essentially what is a blurred photograph taken from space. So all of our imagery analytics were applied on top of it, which extracted what took place to um, hotels in the Caribbean, which had a storm surge into the lobby, for example. Uh, and then we also built a, a portal. The building the portal is only a dissemination tool. It's not necessarily our product. Our product is the analytics. Um, if you don't deliver the intelligence to the client in the way they can consume it and understand it, then you fundamentally failed in your job. And we explained that you need to deliver at a scale to your whole marketplace. So we built a portal with 600 seats on it, which we, they could give away to free for the marketplace. And in that one action, that then, that then achieved for us uh, market penetration at scale throughout the London marketplace with 53 managing agents. Yeah, it's a tremendous story. I mean, it's that classic uh, sort of freemium model where you get people hooked on the technology and then they, they finally like it and then you know, at some point they start paying for it. Well, I mean, congratulations on, on doing that. Uh, so just on, on the, the data you were collecting, is it, to me, it seems like there are at least two main reasons why somebody would want that. One is it helps them understand the scale of loss very quickly and, and clearly after big catastrophes, uh, the management, investors, the press are all clamoring people to give a, a loss estimate and that's virtually impossible even with the best models in the world if you don't know what the actual physical damage was on the ground. So that would be one input. And then I'm assuming also there's some level of allocating claims handlers as well. And maybe I guess even the third one is maybe some kind of assessment of when people put a claim in, you can actually validate that because you get some kind of view. Are those, are those sort of three main reasons or is there something else out there why people are doing this? Yeah, this, there is those three main, main reasons. And also the reinsurance community likes what we do as well because as the event is unfolding, we capture slices of data, of data from across the intelligence and information spectrum and we lock those away into a library which can be looked at much further downstream, particularly if there's litigation involved. And we, we regularly extract that information and then, our, then do deposition work where we explain what it meant at a particular time in the timeline of the event. Initially, it was the claims community that liked the potential for seeing a property just after an event had taken place. Typically, a hurricane or a flood event is not going to completely destroy a building. There is an adjusting cost. So we can give an assessment of what the adjusting cost might be. But really, I think our value there is, yes, get a picture of the event after it's happened, but triage that response. We can also set up alerts 
for the mitigation piece. But for the exposure work that we did and that we do, we didn't know at the time because we didn't know the marketplace from that perspective because we're used to doing post-event activity. We didn't realise at the time what a rich data source and what a novel way of applying this data would be for exposure teams. Um, our reserving estimates are, are regularly 93% improved on the traditional model. And that 93% is driven by the accuracy of identifying the buildings that have had damage and therefore people can work out their losses. That's exactly yeah. So, so Yeah, so we, we, we will do that. So as the event is unfolding in real time, we collect information from, from the ground typically via Internet of Things sensors, whether it's meteorological sensors, whether it's CCTV. It's very clever things we can do now with CCTV. Um, toll data from roads, whether a road is open or closed, we can aggregate all of that information together and give a very, very detailed understanding of whether not only does a risk sit in the event footprint or sit out, so that's a binary yes, no answer against the insurer's risk, but also we can then um, have a pretty good understanding based upon truth of whether the insurer's risk sits in the bottom layer or the primary or secondary or, ter or ter tertiary layer. So therefore we're modeling, not modeling, sorry, therefore we're telling the insurer whether the risk not only sits in or out geographically, but whether the impact is likely to um, hit their layer. In many businesses like yours where you're collecting data and analyzing it and giving the insights to people is, as you said, the access to the data. So for example, for the CCTV data, that to me sounds like something it'd be quite hard to get. Do you have to develop a relationship with somebody that's got access to that or is that publicly available data? Yeah, in various countries around the world, they've got different solutions for personal data. Um, in the UK, it's freedom of information requests. So therefore it's quite difficult in the UK. In the USA, there's federal data sources which are available and we're able to plug into those federal data sources, run it through an algorithm, and then that gives us an answer back of, of, for example, telling us whether the ground is wet, yes or no. Moving that a stage further, um, we've recently taken on a very significant grant from the European Space Agency, and that will enable us to provide CCTV feeds per property. And that per property, take Amazon Ring, for example, um, if we have the permission of the homeowner, and this is the key point, the homeowner is giving us permission to view their CCTV system, we can make an assessment based upon that intelligence of whether their front doorstep is wet as a yes, no answer. Um, that information coming into a centralised source really then accelerates what we're doing. So three years ago, it was a picture from space. Now it's a picture from the property itself. So the way that works is Amazon Ring is the doorbell that has a camera attached to it. And so that would, so the way that would work is, is when someone buys that or installs it, are they, is it just one of the waivers they've been, they've sort of inadvertently, not, not say that in a bad way, but are they automatically saying, yes, you've got permission Amazon to take a photograph of my doorstep or, or do they have to sort of actively? Yeah, it, it must be absolutely active. It must be active from the homeowner itself. So the homeowner essentially puts in a claim. So we're able to geo-ring fence that risk anyway. We've got a fairly good understanding and idea that it's been impacted because it falls in or out of the footprint of the event. If the homeowner is asking for a maintenance payment perhaps or is notifying essentially that they are 
been impacted by the event, at that point, we're able to say to the homeowner, please, can you give us permission to look out of your front door just to verify what you're seeing? And that's really exciting because that, that can then trigger a lot of activity for the insurers where they can make payments with confidence and indeed make the timelines that they would like to make in making a payment to the homeowner, particularly if the homeowner is not able to go back to the property, is living, is already in a hotel. That is fascinating. And then what about crowdsourcing? Because people have looked at ways of looking at Twitter photographs of flooding or other ways of extracting information. Is that something you, you can also use and is there value in that information? There absolutely is. Um, so again, when we look at intelligence, we talk about signals intelligence, which we've been talking about with the IoT. We talk about imagery intelligence, which again is connected to CCTV and aerial imagery. But we also talk about um, human intelligence. And I've referenced it kind of getting into the Lloyd's marketplace. But you have smart humans, people who work for the fire service, perhaps writing a report. You have what we call unsmart humans, passers-by who would write something on Twitter that has taken place. Uh, we will scrape all of that within a geo ring fence and we will apply an algorithm to what is being said and keywords that, that are being said. And we'll also specifically look within Twitter and other social media feeds of images that are being posted, that are geolocated, which we can apply in intelligence process to as well. So it's full spectrum intelligence capability, yes. And that's, and that's all around the world, is it? It is, yeah. I, I think that's, that is actually one of our kind of USPs. We are not restricted to North America. We're not restricted to where we can just fly an airplane with the correct licenses and the correct budget. We look everywhere. We are contracted into the World Food Programme and, and the UN. We will do the same activity for the insured world as we would do for the uninsured world. I'm really proud of the fact that we are a company with a conscience and we'll work particularly hard at taking what we would do for the insured world to parts of the world that really we can add some real value to. And it's not just about replacing a roof, it's about replacing a whole community who may have lost absolutely everything. Yeah, it's, a really, it's actually a really intriguing switch from what we normally talk about, which is companies with great data and clients and technology coming from outside of insurance and offering it to insurance. You're actually reversing that model, which is you're starting off insurance and, and going into whole new areas. And I, I don't know if you've been following all the the commentary around the lemonade IPA, but one of the ones that caught my attention was somebody who felt or believed that the reason, as we're talking anyway, that you know, the price rocketed up was because they qualify or companies are investing in them because of their ESG particulars, I mean, their environmental social government side, which of course these days is becoming more and more important. So, so yeah, good news for you, Forbes. If you want to go and do an IPA, I'm not sure whether you'd be able to <laughs> you know, get, get to be a unicorn straight away. But that, you know, in addition to all the, the sort of the, the right reasons for doing it, yeah. you might also get some attraction on, on the back of it. Our staff fundamentally do come from a vocational background of serve of service. Many of us went to Sandhurst with the motto is serve to lead. And, you know, I, I think having a social conscience is, is really important. I mean, I think it makes us sleep very well at night time. Yeah, and I think also in terms of recruiting people, there's a whole generation now who that is, you know, rightly so, is, is really important to them. So no, it's, it's good to be able to blend the commercial side with some other aspects as well. Um, and then just in terms of application or how this actually works for a client, can you talk through how somebody, if they're sitting in a US insurer or a, a lawyer syndicate, yeah, how do they actually combine what they already know about their own 
clients with a policy information or, or something similar with the data you're providing so that it's all presumably reasonably seamlessly integrated. I think it's one of our selling points actually to the marketplace. We said to the marketplace, we don't want your secrets. You keep your risk. We'll just supply all the intelligence that we think you need and then you can extract that as you require and work with it. Increasingly as the market and the global market have got to know us, they're happy that we're a trustworthy company with high levels of integrity. They now actively give us via an API feed um, their risk. But that means that we know where to look. And if we know where to look, we can then give very detailed understanding. Then move to the claims piece. The claims piece is all about automating a maintenance payment to the individual or the property or whatever the risk might be. Then we keep layering, layering, layering intelligence on top until we have um, what we call our confirmation layer. And the confirmation layer then tells us what has happened to that risk. And we give it a grading. And we've got a grading system based upon the impact and then we offer a grading system based on the functionality. So we may have a power station, which looks fine because it's a big concrete structure, but if seawater is ingressed into the freshwater coolant system, functionally it is not working, and therefore there are downstream effects for all the industries that expect to gain um, electricity from that location. So with the API, people can therefore plug you into other existing systems, and that will, whether it's a claim system or a policy administration system or some kind of exposure management system, or depending on what they want to do, but you're giving them the, the data and triggers to, to that, that works on the side of the existing workflow as opposed to they've got to move to some new system. We've been told quite clearly that um, clients do not want another logon. They want an API call that speaks to their system. So the data is agnostic in terms of what system it moves to. There's lots of different ways to write down the intelligence and replicate the intelligence. We do all of them so we can feed into whatever system um, our, our clients have. And as you'll know, some clients have very, very advanced systems and some have really have got problems with historic tech legacy. So we must cater for all. I'm glad that point, is, you know, I think for anybody building a new system, yeah, not trying to own another space in the underwriter's desktop is, is or the claims handler's desktop is really important because that desktop is, is pretty cluttered. Uh, we've talked a lot about talked a lot about London, and uh, we touched on this in the US. But what are you doing with companies outside of the UK as clients or potential clients? Yeah, so um, we have a sales team in in the US in Denver, Colorado, and the, the, these these are guys we actually worked with eight years ago from a startup called Skybox, who were acquired by Google. So they're a team we know really well, and they know our product inside out, and they're currently taking us to market in the states. We find that. North American uh, domestics in particular are data hungry. I actually was surprised about the fact that they're looking to buy all data sources rather than just stick with one company. We thought, let's do the London market first of all and then go to North America. We are finding that via the London market, their US domestic owners are asking for our data. So a lot of introductions are happening because we, we work with a subsidiary in London. Uh, that also works quite well for us as, as well. Well, that point you made about buying multiple data sources, I think what happens in the early stage of technology where it's not too expensive, people, the, the PSCs are fine, but actually what people want to do is test things out for a year or two. As part of our um, sales pitch, we actually say to, say to clients, under exam conditions, run us against an event. Uh, we'll have the data on the system, and 24 hours later, we'll give, give you the, an, the answer, and please do it, compare it against what you had historically. You know, we're a very global business and um, there's a lot of extensive flooding taking place in, in Japan 
and under the new system that we developed the European Space Agency money we call it GEO the Global Events Observer um, and that the first time we used that in anger if you like was against the recent floods in, in Japan we're, we're, we're stunned with the outcome we're really pleased. One area I haven't talked about yet but I know you've been doing some work around is a COVID-19 dashboard. We're not stuck just to natural catastrophes we do all things geopolitical and um, we've covered the Black Lives Matter protests and, and, and how the protests have impacted property insurance um, all over North America and COVID we recognise very early on as having an impact. We actually thought business interruption, um, we did think supply chain, we started looking at the Far East and impact into saying Singapore and distribution networks. So we, we pointed our technologies um, to collect against that and started producing a layer which uh, Lloyds of London liked a lot. Um, but then as it gathered to grow pace and we saw whole countries going into the proverbial lockdown, uh, we clicked against that as well. And then the feedback from our US clients were, that's fine, we need to understand what's happening at county level in the US. And there's over 3,000 counties in, in the US. And so we therefore created a database and we had an automated capability to collect and aggregate what was being said at individual county level um, in, in, in the USA. Now, humans must come into that. So we have a human machine teaming as, as well, which we carefully manage. And we can tell you via timeline how each county has treated, um, from a legislative perspective, um, the COVID-19 impact. And that's school closures, business closures, restrictions of social movements. Um, and it's just taking the understanding that we know insurance companies need for NatCats and pointing that towards COVID-19. COVID and it's a very, very dynamic data set. Uh, and that's available via an, a an API feed, a subscription model. And you know, what strikes me about that, once you've got your database of 3,000 US counties, then that itself becomes a whole level of analytics. I mean, you talk about COVID, but, and, and also the litigation associated with each county. I mean, that to me seems like there's a whole scope of work you could do there that feeds back into everything else you're doing. I mean, really interesting kind of how each county treats the issue. I mean, some counties are rather dull, which the insurance community would like a lot because if you can predict what that county is going to say, then great, you, you can underwrite insurance. Some counties are very volatile, but you can extract that how they would treat other types of policy making at the county level in, in North America. And we can't find anything else out there or else we would have taken that, that, that database and added our own intelligence to it. So yeah, we, we believe it's a very unique database and give a very detailed understanding um, at a fascinating snapshot in time of what has taken, taken place across the USA at county level. Yeah, definitely, definitely a space to watch. Uh, we've obviously covered a lot of things there. What, what can you talk about that you've got coming ahead of you that you're prepared to share or maybe share exclusively for this yes, audience? It's just, really, I've, I've got to say it's the Global Events Observer, GEO. Um, GEO, it was always the ambition for the company to replicate what we do at Hurricane Harvey levels over Houston, but for the whole world at the same time. And that's what GEO delivers for us. Uh, we spent the last 24 months carefully crafting a technological roadmap hand-in-hand hand with the European Space Agency. And we're now able to replicate, at the end of the geo-build, detailed understanding a sub-one-metre resolution anywhere on the world. The applications are quicker, better, fast, faster for everything that we're doing now. The scale that the Future at Lloyd's programme requires, 
working with the US domestics at the scale they require. Um, and being able to ingest and future-proof ourselves against any new and novel intelligence sources that we can work with, that we see of being of value. And then, of course, after a period of time, you can look at that database and use that for underwriting decisions in the future. And, of course, we are speaking to a number of parametric providers about how that intelligence can trigger a number of parametric solutions, whether it's risk to building risk to business interruption, ingress and egress, or um, agrarian risks, wherever they might be around the world. Yeah, that parametric one in particular, I mean, having a reliable data source at scale makes a massive difference there because people understand the benefits, but it's just being able to move to that next level. So, yeah, I can see you can have a lot of interest, a lot of interest in that. And you've also got the benefit of having some existing clients, which means you can move Faster. Well, it's really, really impressive for us. Uh, well, just uh, before we wrap up, I just want to you know, thank you, first of all, for becoming a member of Instech London. Uh, you spent some of your human intelligence budget a couple of years ago sponsoring our summer party. Uh, where we always get together and actually see people close to close. Hopefully, we'll get back to that before too long. So, thank you for that as well. But I just, you know, just a little bit of um, input for us on you know, what you've seen we're doing that makes you decide to actually support us a bit more. Well, I think it's been lovely and quite, actually quite amazing that what you've done. You've taken yourself, Robin, Paolo, uh, three very interesting characters, if I may say so, that um, have a unified vision for what InsureTech should be. Actually, where InsureTech fits in, and you come from that side too, you've got a very mature view of the InsureTech community rather than it's something fun, it's a flash in the pan, um, whereas maybe some other players might, might have them done, and really brought together young companies like us and more mature companies and indeed the kind of the, the, the kind of big hitters into a forum where we can engage and engage in us in a safe place and i think one of the things we're grateful for yourselves for is is you've educated i've done a good job of it i, sh- I should say the the larger players who are used to slower product life cycles you know these are small companies they have a burn rate that you typically will be 12 to 18 months at best. We need to be doing things within tighter cycles to prove capability. And I think you guys have done a particularly good job of that and bring that community together um, in a great environment. So actually from, from, from our side, thanks. And we are chuffed to bits to kind of be in the community. And uh, just while we're fanboying just, just a little bit, you know, we, Vicky Mills, I referenced at, at the start, we wouldn't, without meeting you, Mafia, I wouldn't have met, Vicky, and um, she's been wonderful for us. Uh, really has been a, 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 gr- a great brain. Great. No, well, thanks for lots of, lots of great things there. Just for our American audience that's listening, the word interesting, I think sometimes has different connotations depending which side of the world you stand. <laughs> it, can be a euphemism. it can be a euphemism for all sorts of things. But, and yeah, please don't give up on the disruption. Yeah, that was the kind of slightly sort of mad call of the first wave of InsureTech, and then everyone got very friendly and collaborative. But actually, it still needs people like you to say, yeah, particularly when you've got a bit of momentum, to you know, shake things up a bit and say, come on, we've got to move faster, make some decisions, spend some money with the right kind of people. And yeah, I think given what we've gone through the last three months of forcing everyone to go digital and recognising that it's possible and you've just got to push on, you know, you're really well positioned now to, to help people capitalise on that. Our jobs to be prepared to have all of our information sources lined up well in advance with all of the various commercials lined up against those. And then we, we then react via a, a very practiced process and 
part of the scaling up is the uniformity of our outputs. So it's always the same output regardless of what the event is. There may be a Hurricane Dorian this year. Hopefully there's not. Um, but there may be Hurricane Dorian and we're certainly ready for that event as and when it happens. Brilliant. Well, we look forward to hearing more about it and uh, you always put out great reports as well, which keep us all informed. So, no, thank you very much, Forbes. Uh, it's been great chatting. I learned a lot, which is always a, a good test of uh, how we're spending our time together and look forward to seeing you face-to-face, hopefully before another three months are up. Fantastic. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you today, Matthew. Thank you. You can find out more about MIS, including a handy summary of our conversation to share with your colleagues coming soon from our website, www.instec.london. You can also sign up for our weekly newsletter there. And if you are a successful and growing company with an interesting story to tell and you'd like to learn more about membership and have the chance to be interviewed for our podcast or appear on one of our regular live chats, maybe even face-to-face soon, then please do make contact hello at instec.london. And of course, look out coming next week, episode 100.